Experience the friendly, captivating atmosphere at Urbane Restaurant and Bar. By sourcing fresh ingredients from the Pacific Northwest, chefs Caleb Espinosa and Brian Griffin put their own unique and inspiring twists on dishes that feature throughout Urbane's upscale comfort, globally inspired menus. Enjoy creative cocktails, local craft drafts, and meals that will make you yell, Goal! Alongside fellow Sounders fans during both home and away matches, discover Urbane within Hyatt at Olive 8, the official hotel partner of your Seattle Sounders FC. Listen to this. Zakawani, the flying winger. Here's Brad Evans. It's Steve. It's Steve. Who is it? It's Brad Evans. <laughs> Happy days are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Zakawani. Evans with the left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans. This is so weird. The party has started. What's up, everyone? Welcome, Winging It with Zach and Brad. Another edition from this self-isolation. Delighted to say we're going to get right into it today. We have Stu Holden coming in a little bit later, but first we're going to get right to it with the man, the myth, the legend. Jordan Morris joins us. Jordan, what's going on, man? Woo! What's up, guys? <laughs> Brad, you're Dude, crazy. I'm so, oh, so excited. <laughs> I got the Jordan, hard hitters today. You do? All right. All right. I'll, I I'll, wouldn't I'll expect anything more. less. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I got asked the obligatory question that everyone will probably just ask you, which is how have you been using your time in self-isolation and this, with the stay-at-home order and how are you staying in shape? Yeah, it's been, uh, been um, tough. I think the, the team has done a good job sending out some, some good um, workouts. We zoom, zoom in once a week and do a team workout, which is fun. And then, um, just doing exercises on my own. But I think in terms of staying busy, I um, started taking some classes again, which has been, been good. And um, my fiance and I just, we got a, we got a puppy. So um, that's been taking up a lot of our time too. Jeez. I mean, no wonder you took classes right now. There's no better time to be a student than to cheat. You could have like four computers in front of you <laughs> and start taking classes and you're going to ace every single one. It's ridiculous. Well, I, uh, <laughs> I guess so, but I'm not going to do that. Oh, you're too nice of a guy. Yeah. I, I would just figure right now would be the hardest part is just, I don't, I don't think anybody could have foreseen how long this thing really was going to go. I know when Steve and I had started doing this podcast from quarantine, it was like, yeah, let's, let's revisit in a month. And now it's like, Right. This whole season might not even happen. Is that in your mind right now? Are you prepared for something like that? Or are you still like really hoping? And you might have more info than we do, but are you still hoping that this thing is going to kickstart somewhere in the middle of the summer? Or what are you kind of preparing for? Is it just a daily thing? Or is it a, a broader outlook on the season? Um, I think a little of both. I think definitely hopeful that we get going sometime in the summer. Um, I mean, it's obviously different, but you see teams in Germany are starting to train and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think everyone everyone misses it and hopes hopes that, like, maybe, yeah, like you said, during the summer, um, at some point it could get back going. But um, I think the hard part is that it is so up in the air. And so um, with no timetable to return when you're doing your workouts and stuff like that, it's just it's, it's hard because you don't know exactly um, when you're going – going back. So I think it's just treating it like, you know, we are going to have a season um, this year at some point, hopefully soon, because if that time comes, there's not going to be a big 
um, build up period, you know, so you got to <clears throat> just stay ready. come back ready to ready to play, you know, so it is a daily thing and just, yeah, trying to stay as ready as possible. Uh, Jordan, this weekend, the Sounders FC are going to replay the the win against LAFC from last season in the playoffs, which for me, I said, is the best performance a, an individual Sounders team has ever given in the club's history. Just taking the opponent, taking the size of the game, what was at stake, I thought it was fantastic. Um, what do you remember from that game? Like, is there anything Schmetz has said to you guys? Tactically, like, did why did it work so well? Like, to the point where I don't think Stefan Fry had too much to do. Um, Carlos Vera was really quiet, and it could have been, it was 3-1, I think. It could have been 4, 5, or 6 if you knew who could finish. So, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what, what do you remember from that game? We were doing a, a trivia night the other night, and Jimbo brought that up to knew who, to knew who that, that finished in that game. It was pretty funny. I, love it. I think knew who got off the call. <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, it was, uh, I, you know, I don't think it was anything different tactically that that we went into the game um, planning. Obviously, how how can we stop? Vela maybe putting a little bit more focus on that and, and they have a really dangerous attacking team but I thought like you said it was just I mean since I've been there and the best that, like defensive performance that the team put in just as a collective group um, I mean I don't know how many balls Ra- Raul came back and um, and won like in, in our own defensive half and guys were just working hard and, and up for it obviously knowing the stakes of the game and so I don't think it was anything that we changed drastically, but I mean, guys were just clicking on the same page and um, I don't know, it was a, obviously a really good performance and, and three really good goals. And like you said, could have been more. And I don't remember like they, you know, they had a few half chances, but, but nothing, nothing great. So um, yeah, it was, it was a really good performance. It was one of those days where everyone just gave that. Like they, every coach will talk about that. Steve, you probably do. It's like I need I need my high school players to give that extra five percent today, right? Or that extra ten yeah. percent. Just give me a little bit of something. And it's almost like very rarely does it happen where everyone does it and does it on the same day and on the same page, right? I think yeah that you can tell me if I'm wrong, Jordan, but that seems like that's what happened on that day. Is is mm-hmm. nobody made a mistake. It was just everyone was mentally tuned in. And it was just a, a flawless performance that, you know, we'll talk about forever. And it kind of, you know, obviously yeah. allowed you to then host the final, which um, obviously Toronto had to win at Atlanta. But still, you get to then host an MLS Cup, which probably added a little bit more to that game as well. Like, hey, if we win this game, we got the opportunity yeah. to, you know, host the final, which, which gives you that little bit extra. Um, since we're talking about Germany, Jordan, will you run us through kind of what happened, uh, you know, a couple years ago when you were on trial um, or training at Werder Bremen and kind of got an offer, how that kind of came about and how the reason why you decided to, you know, stay in Seattle and kind of pursue your American career versus one overseas? Yeah, um, I think it, uh, I mean, it all started with, with Jurgen and, um, you know, calling me up. Um, the national team when when I was at school and then Andy Herzog um, as well he was the assistant and the the U23 coach and they had some um, some connections uh, over there and so I think they watched me in a few of the national team games and and some under 23 games 
and um and yeah just wanted me to come over on on uh on kind of a trial basis after after I was done with my final season at school and so I went over there um for about a week and um at the end they offered me a contract and you know did a lot of thinking talked to a lot of people and um ultimately obviously decided to to come back and I just you know I grew up watching this team I always wanted to to uh to play for them and and um start my career here and um you know I can't write anything off in the future but um you know I'm so happy with my decision I think in terms of development it's been been great so um and obviously winning a couple championships has been been super special so for uh for me, I, I never regret anything. It was it was a good experience for me to, to go over there, but um, I'm completely completely happy with my decision. So, and I, I think I speak for everyone in Seattle when I say that we're glad you chose to start your career here. You've been obviously um, fantastic for the team. I want to go back to something you just said. Um, I think people know this, but maybe not everyone. You first got onto the national team scene when you weren't even a pro. You were still in college. I think Jurgen brought you up. Um, when you were still at Stanford, what was that experience like, and how did you find out? Like, did Jurgen call you personally? Did did someone email you? How did you even find out that the national team wanted a college kid to start playing with them? Yeah, it was it was it was pretty crazy, and um, I mean, uh, the the team came to Stanford before before the World Cup, um, and I I had played with um, Tab uh, a little bit, Tab Ramos. He was one of the assistants with the with the U20s, and so when they came to Stanford um, to train, I uh, Tab told Jurgen, he said, "Hey, if you need an extra body, like throw this kid in. He can help out a little bit." Um, and I, you know, I never thought anything would come of that. But the next day, um, Jurgen asked me to come train with the team. So I, we did a training, and then um, we played them in a scrimmage, and uh, fortunately had a good game in that game. And I think that was kind of where Jurgen got to see me for the first time um, really playing. So, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of, for me, I always say it's just such a crazy experience. They could have gone anywhere to, to train any, you know, in, in this country, another country, but they ended up at Stanford and um, just luck, luck, you know, a little bit. So, and then after the world cup, I got a call from, from Jurgen that he wanted to meet. He flew to, Palo Alto actually and we met and he um, met with me and my dad and my college coach and told me he wanted to to call me into the next camp so it all it all moved pretty pretty quick but um, obviously very grateful that it happened the way it did. I think I remember we were playing down in San Antonio against Mexico right and you scored was that your first national team goal? All right. Yeah. yeah yeah so we were playing in San Antonio you came off the bench scored to make it one nil and uh, I, I started that one, but um, oh, you started that one? Okay, and it was one. Yeah, start, that was my first first start, and then yeah, one now, and then one first start, one first goal. That's right. Um, and I remember he got man of the match, but he was too young to accept the Budweiser man of the match award because Budweiser <laughs> was a sponsor, so he couldn't accept any of the award. But and so I think you get money for that. No, no, you don't get money, but you couldn't accept the award, and you also weren't a professional yet or something so you couldn't accept the bonus from winning that game is that right yeah yeah it's such a disaster yeah. and it's a lot of money and it's i like got for that game against mexico it's like 15 grand yeah something and, like that. and then it's we crazy. went to 
then we went to the Netherlands and Germany. I couldn't accept either of those wins That's either. Right. <laughs> we oh, went wow. to Germany and Holland. And we won both games. games. I think we won both games, and I think yeah. the check after that was like thirty grand, dude. Oh, and this my guy God. couldn't accept the money, so it was like, can this guy <laughs> donate the money? And I think they said no, he couldn't even donate the money or something. It was so, such a bummer, dude. So ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> So this guy's playing for the national team. He's good enough. He's obviously going to be a big piece, but they say no, you can't. You can't have the money. Yeah, that's nuts. Honestly, I was just uh, at that point. I was just, ha- you know, I was just happy to be there. Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> but it was, course, but it was, was pretty, ridiculous. pretty crazy. Yeah, that was crazy, man. Um, hey, how how has life changed uh, being in in Seattle? Obviously, you've got a fiance now. You said. You've got are things just settled for you now and, and you see yourself here for the foreseeable future or there, let's say you make a world cup roster and you show well, and you know, Werder Bremen again comes calling, but they say, Hey, we want you to be a part of the first team. Are these thoughts that go through your head right now? Or are you just focusing on basically getting through this quarantine and having another successful, healthy season? Yeah, I think that's, um, I think a little of both. I think the main thing is getting back to playing and, getting through this time and um, just seeing where things go. It's definitely unpredictable right now, um, the future. Um, and I love being in Seattle and, and I am super happy here, but I, like I said, I can never write off anything. If a team came, came calling, it would definitely be something to, to consider. So, um, you know, I think, like I said, I'm completely happy here. And if, if nothing changed then that's, that would be totally, totally fine. And I think, my development here is, has, has gone great. And I, I see that um, continuing and, and I love competing here and trying to win championships, but um, definitely something to consider if, you know, if, if something, if something came up. So. Uh, Jordan, Darwin Jones, DeAndre Yedlin, Jordan Morris in a race, who wins? <laughs> how, how long is it? Let's say 50 yards to the halfway line. Oh my gosh. I think DeAndre wins that. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's just he's so quick. Replay. DeAndre yeah, is so quick. His recovery. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Maybe if it opened up. Yeah, he's quick, man. Yeah. Still. Yeah, he's so quick. Potentially, if it opened up a little farther, Darren mm-hmm. and I maybe could could beat him, but. He's yeah. so he's so fast, and I mean Darwin is too. So, as, yeah. what if you throw Chad? What about Chad in that conversation? Where's Chad? <laughs> Chad, honestly, he's when he opens up, like you see him recovering on some of the corner kicks. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. Fast. He's yeah. so fast. <laughs> he's really he's deceivingly fast. Uh, he's the I don't know why this dude. always this always sticks out in my mind from one of my first trainings with when I signed with the team. I was like trying to hold the ball up on Chad and he like did his classic reach around and poke away. And you, and you looked at me, Brad, and you're like, you said something where you were like, like he's going to do that to every, or I don't know, like something, something that always sticks out in my mind where you said something to me after Chad just poked, poked it away. Like he classic, you know, always did. So just like be ready for that every single time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's going to happen every single time. That's yeah. the patented yeah. move. It's or you said good luck or something like yeah, that. Yeah, have, have, have fun with that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you just uh, kind of put yeah. your head down and shake your head. Like, yeah, oh, and I, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God.
Jordan, really appreciate you making the time to come on, man. Hopefully, we'll be able to see you out in person soon and out on the pitch as well, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate right. it, man. Joao Paulo, in stoppage time. Can he deliver some magic? Sends it in. Oh, there it is! Are you kidding me? Jordan Morris puts it in the back of the net. It is Bornstein that leaves Morris onside. Chicago can't believe it, and I gotta be honest, neither can I. All right, guys, I'm super excited about this one. Uh, my good friend and hero from the national team, uh, Stu Holden. You know his voice well from being on TV. Uh, Steve and I want to say a massive uh, thank you for joining us right now. Uh, so, welcome, Stu. How are you, man? What's going on, guys? Uh, you know, I just uh, left the grocery store with um, my mask and my gloves, and it's just such a weird experience right now. It's like my only time getting out of the house, but it's nice just to get out for you know, 20 minutes. And even if I can't even see where I'm going or what I'm doing with this dang mask on, it's so hot. And I come out sweating like Pat Ayani by the end of it. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good experience. <laughs> it, it is the, the weirdest thing in the world. You feel like out of place, but you also feel comfortable at the same time. It's like, how does a mask make you feel so much better and so awkward at the same time? It is I know you, you feel, yeah, you feel like, uh, you, you know, like this outer body experience when you're rolling in with these gloves and this mask and like a hat and all people can see is my eyes. You feel like so incognito in a way. It, it is super bizarre. Um, so first of all, obviously you've been, you've been grocery shopping, but you guys have been quarantining down there in LA and, and you've been doing your thing on Fox from home, setting up your own little digital station and everything. Um, let, let's kind of jump into, you know, your career and how you kind of started, where you came from. Uh, you know, our fans obviously know you from being the TV personality and, and having some tough games against us, obviously starting in 2009, I think. Uh, but before that, kind of take us through your progression and, and how you kind of came into into soccer. Yeah, I grew up in, in Scotland and, you know, played from an early age. I played, uh, you know, rugby, tennis, soccer, uh, just about anything. But it, I, I was playing every single chance that I got moved to the U S when I was 10 years old and, you know, still continued to, to play soccer in the youth soccer leagues in, uh, in South Texas and, you know, regional teams. And I didn't really make the national team until I think the U twenties actually, when I was seen at Clemson. And at that point I was kind of considering going pro. I wanted to go pro had an opportunity to go to Sunderland where, um, I was unfortunately knocked out on the streets by a, you know, a nice boxer punched straight out in, in Newcastle city center. And that actually led me back to MLS where, you know, Dominic Kinnear gave me an opportunity with the Dynamo. It was my hometown team. They had just moved there from San Jose. And, you know, I joined what was uh, already a phenomenal team and we went on to win back-to-back championships actually. And, had some really some great battles with the Sounders. I'll never forget my first time playing up there at Century Century Link and just thinking, you know, when I joined MLS, I think there was 12 teams back in 2006. That might be about right. And you look at where the league is now, but also what Seattle has brought to this league in terms of just consistency and high crowds and passion towards the game. And the Pacific Northwest has really, I feel, taken this league to another level from, from when I initially joined. And, you know, I, I'll give the, the short version. And Steve, I know you're you're there with me, man. Like we lost our careers early to yeah. to injury, and 
you know, I had a, had a couple of bad tackles on me and then, you know, subsequent ACL injuries resulting because of that. And uh, I, I actually, you know, I think I officially retired at maybe 30 years old, but I, I, my, my last professional game was a reserve game for Bolton at I think 27 or 28 years old and tore my ACL and kind of never got back after that. And I, I've, I love what I do now, but I, I obviously wish like many of us that we were still able to play and, um, you know, be out there on the field, but it, it's, uh, I, it, I feel lucky to have, have been able to have the career that I did. Yeah, for sure, Stu. I, I, yeah, well, I want to ask you about the injury stuff, but a question I've always wanted to ask you, and we had um, Brian Ching on a couple of weeks back, and I asked him as well. I came into the league in 2009, and that Houston Dynamo team, you and Chingy and Jeff Cameron and Eddie Robinson, Pat Onstead, I mean, I can go on and on. It was a really, really, really good team. Um, what was it like being on that team? Like, Did you, like, could you, did you know you were in the midst of something special? Like, or what made the team so good? Was it Dom Kinnear? Was it kind of the team leading itself? But I remember playing against you guys and just always having such a hard time how organized you guys were and somehow you guys always found a way to win. Obviously, so many great players, but what was the secret source for that team? I think for me personally, joining that team was the best possible thing that could have happened in my career as a 19, 20-year-old um, because I, I was... Uh, you know, I was kind of a guy that uh, had you know, talent and skill and, you know, w but at the same time, I, I don't think I really knew how to be a good pro and to maximize my abilities within that. And, uh, you know, joining that Dynamo team as a 20 year old and kind of walking in with your chest puffed up a little bit, you got knocked down straight away because there were zero egos in that in that room. And it was in a competitive environment. It was team police. You had Dominic Kinnear, who was, you know, an excellent coach, but also an, an excellent man manager and knew when to let the locker room police itself. And you had guys like Brian Ching and all the guys that you listed, you know, Eddie Robinson, Dwayne DeRosario, just the ultimate competitors. And that was brought out in practice every day. So, so as a, 20 year old guy when you know you're competing with guys that are, are treating training sessions like full games and not letting you take a playoff and challenging you every single moment that's where I think that team was so great and that's where you saw in games that there was just this relentless attitude uh, we knew who we were we knew what we weren't uh, we knew that we were difficult to play against we would make it physical. We'd play direct. You had great set pieces from guys like Brad Davis and, um, you know, his, his ability. Then you had, I think, some of the most unheralded players in Major League Soccer history like Brian Mullen and Craig Weibel and, you know, guys that don't get a lot of, um, you know, talk or uh, notoriety within MLS circles. You know, Wade Barrett, for example. But these guys are, are true legends. And I think Brian Mullen might have five MLS Cups and – he could walk down the street during, you know, most MLS games today and, and not really people even bat an eyelid at him. And, and that just kind of speaks to the way that that team was. And I, I feel very fortunate to have been a part of that because I learned so much as a player and also as a person, just how to manage my life and my career off the field. I've always loved hearing the professional stories about Houston, but I also love hearing the stories about the house, the infamous house of <laughs> Chabala, Mike Chabala. And Pat Iani, I don't know who else is in there, but I can't imagine as professional as the team was, but you talk about being a 20, 21 year old living in Houston with three or four guys in the same house. I'm sure it was just absolute 
chaos. Yeah, chaos is one word you could use. Um, you know, this the the house uh, that you're referring to, I think, almost uh, at some at at some point along the way during my MLS career, and then even after I left, probably housed about you know every single MLS player for at least one beer um, at a point. And you know, I, I I bought that house when I first signed with the Dynamo, and uh, Ayani moved in in Chabala, and it was. It was a mellow frat house, I guess you could call it. And we had kind of a, uh, we had a nice mix of, you know, Ayani, uh, Chabala, and I all kind of brought different things and mellowed each other out in different ways. Like Chewy, his first year, Mike Chabala, if he would have a bad practice, he would go up and pretty much just lock himself in his room and cry. And we were like, dude, you, you got to get over it. Like, this is just one practice. And I, I more, I had more of a nonchalant attitude to that. And, you know, and just an ability to kind of shake off bad practice or bad days. And so I think, and Chewy's spoken about this too, I was a better influence on him on that. Now me, I was in my hometown and partying and, you know, catching up with old friends. And then I had the other guys being like, hey, Stu, maybe you should just not go out and focus on your career. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea, guys. So, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a house that I actually unfortunately just sold, well, I sold it last year. I'd had it for 15 years, but the, uh, if the wow. walls, if the walls could speak guys. Yeah, that's right. Oh, <laughs> uh, and then from, from, from Houston, you went to Bolton and kind of became a, a legend there, even though you only played, you know, 30 games, right? But yeah, still, I think, I think like, a, like 30 Premier League games and, you know, 40 something, but way, way less than it ever should have been. And, you know, I just, um, it's I try to explain this connection with with Bolton and you know a club that in in such a short time I became so close to and I think it was because of um the you know the, the trials and tribulations and the injuries and just working my way back but also just the way I played on the field I think that they enjoyed the fact that I'd run around like a you know a headless chicken and just smash people and then get in the box and score the odd goal here and there and um, you know, they, they treated me so well, though, guys. And uh, Steve, I, I think your experiences are similar with uh, with the Sounders. And just yeah. that, you know, when I was at my worst, um, they they went out of their way to make sure that I had everything I needed to be supported, uh, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, all the rest of it, just to, to try and get back. And I, I think the Bolton fans understood that I gave absolutely everything to try and get back on the field. And you know, was was fortunate enough to have provided them some some nice moments along the way, and some that I look back on today and as the best uh, in my career. Right. Um, obviously, you and I, like you said, we've alluded to, went through some pretty traumatic injuries and just things you wouldn't wish on any athlete at all. Um, for you, what was kind of the, when you were on the way back? What was the toughest part for you? Like, um, was it the mental aspect of it? Was it the physical rehab? Was it being separated from the team? Um, like for myself, I remember when I got injured, I spent my first year um, away from the team. Like I did not want to come to the practice facility. I wanted to be away because coming to training was too hard for me. I didn't go to games. I found it better just to not even be near the sounders and just do my own thing till I was close. So the mental side was a bit tough for me. But what was your experience like as you were trying to fight back and rescue your career? Yeah, I think I, I needed a mix of both as, uh, you know, Brad and I have been teammates before and I, I thrive in uh, team environments and I just love being around the guys and, you know, the, the locker room and the banter and, you know, that, that actually gives me life in a sense. But to your point, I, 
I equate it to, you know, going to Disneyland, but not being able to go on any of the rides. And that's what yeah. felt like going to practice, you know, just watching everybody have fun. And you're just standing there with your popcorn and doing your 3000 lunges for the day. And, uh, you know, hitting the, hitting the exercise bike and getting in the cold tub. And then everybody comes in and is, you know, sweating and, and laughing about all the stuff from practice. And that used to really kill me. And I, I think, um, I, I would get away from the team. I'd have my isolation. I'd go to Delaware. I relied on, you know, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and, uh, you know, my family and those around me and working with uh, James Hashimoto, the trainer from the national team. I lived in Delaware uh, for a year of my life to, to rehab and to get back from that injury. But to answer your question, the hardest part for me was the point in my, my rehab from my left knee. I never felt like I could get over the hump. Um, and, uh, in sight. And that was the hardest part because I just never knew. And I would keep working, working, working. And then I would reach a certain point and a workload on my knee and then it would swell again. And it was the most deflating and the hardest part mentally just to deal with because you never knew if that would come. And eventually one day with enough uh, you know, Celebrex and painkillers and all right. the rest of it. I, I remember coming off of a hard couple of practices and my knee didn't swell. And it was, it was honestly like I'd won the lottery again and, you know, kind of worked my way back before the other injuries came. But, you know, that, that was, that was definitely the hardest, I think, just living in this land of uncertainty where it, it, something that you've had so much control over, over your whole life, you just don't have any control anymore. Speaking of uh, no control, we're obviously in a weird place. How do you see this whole thing playing out this season? What should MLS do um, and where we're kind of at with this process? I mean, I'm sure you've got more insight than, you know, most of us. So what are your thoughts on, on this situation? Yeah, you know, guys, I, I mean, I, as as we're recording this, the Bundesliga have said that they're, you know, they're, they're looking to come back uh, in May for train all the teams are back in training now and then they're going to resume their season behind closed doors in June. Now, I think what makes our situation even more challenging here in the United States is just the pure size of the country and the fact that, you know, we're essentially like Europe combined with all our different states and all the different, you know, degrees of the outbreak with the coronavirus and, you know, not being able to essentially isolate teams in a smaller region and say, Hey, let's just all go to Arizona or let's go to, you know, Florida and have all the teams down there and play all these games. I just don't, I, I'm guessing here again, and it's based on, you know, the information we have today, but I would be surprised if fans allowed at games when those do resume resume um, for even just this entire season, I, I would actually guess that there's going to be a, condensed version of MLS, you know, maybe a 20 something type game season. And then you've got your, uh, your postseason mixed there in, in there. I, I would guess that those would be with no fans. And that's a serious hit to a, a younger league in, in the grand scheme of things. A lot of those individual teams, the Sounders included, were, are probably one of the few MLS teams that actually turn a profit and to, to not have the revenue for home games from match day income is a huge hit to, you know, the, the, the team and the league in general, especially when you think about where this league was really, you know, starting to trend up and you have new teams in the league and all the money that has been invested. So it's a really messy situation. It's, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, sports are, are part of, 
uh, are just one of many businesses across the United States and the world right now that are really struggling and trying to figure all this out. But if at least they can get the games on and get them televised and get through the end of this season and then really regroup and just kind of blow it out for 21, that seems to me, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but it feels like it's the best scenario right now. Yeah, I, th I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. It's going to be some combination of the things you said. Um, I think you're right. But still, I want to say, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that, you know, what you've been able to do um, following, obviously, the injury you had, it's not easy to come back and reinvent yourself. It's not easy to, um, to find a new passion. Obviously, you'll always miss being a player. But I think what you do, you do it really, really well. Uh, you know, we enjoy watching you and listening to you, obviously. Um, so I think, yeah, I just want to, that's not as much of a question as much as me just saying. I think um, it's inspiration to a lot of us who, you know, I retired 26, 27. And um, it's obviously a very hard road to walk. But I think you've done it really, really well. And to just keep going, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. And, and you know, I get to watch your guys' broadcasts as well. And, I think what I realized when I got into television and is that, A, I, I liked it. And I've, I've always enjoyed being in front of the camera. So that's no surprise to anyone that was my teammate. <laughs> Brad, Brad will have a chuckle. Uh, but, but also just that, you know, we, you get a unique opportunity to communicate the, the sport that we played for forever and the insights that we have, but also to do it in a way that's honest and, um, not every player is going to like what you say, and I've I've had interesting conversations, but <laughs> I've always said whatever I say on TV, I'm prepared to say to somebody's face and have an honest conversation about that, and I think that that is the best way to approach that. And also, I never realized in getting into this that it's actually a lot of work, um, you know, the studying <laughs> and the research and, and, you know, knowing the teams and the players, and you have a responsibility to be informed. And to do that, my first World Cup, I remember uh, last year before – or 2018 now, holy cow, um, before Russia, I sat down like a couple weeks before the tournament and started to go through it. And I got like, I got kind of like this stressful anxiety because there was so much to absorb and so many teams and names and players. And, um, but it, it was, um, that was the greatest experience I've, I've had outside of playing in a world cup was actually broadcasting one. So, you know, I, I feel fortunate and I appreciate that, uh, for, for saying that, man, because, um, I hope to do this for many years, but you never know in this business. Right. Stu, absolute legend, man. Pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Cheers, boys. Have a good one, man. All right, man. Thanks, Stay guys. safe. See you, Bradley. See you, guys. Experience the friendly, captivating atmosphere at Urbane Restaurant and Bar. By sourcing fresh ingredients from the Pacific Northwest, chefs Caleb Espinosa and Brian Griffin put their own unique and inspiring twists on dishes that feature throughout Urbane's upscale comfort, globally inspired menus. Enjoy creative cocktails, local craft drafts, and meals that will make you yell, Goal! Alongside fellow Sounders fans during both home and away matches, discover Urbane within Hyatt at Olive 8, the official hotel partner of your Seattle Sounders FC. Again, just want to thank Jordan Morris and Stu Holden for joining myself and Brad here on the podcast. A reminder to you listening, make sure to tune in to Sounders FC Classics this Saturday, April 11th, as we look back on last year's Western Conference Championship match against LAFC. Rewatch the entire contest at 7 p.m. on Joe TV, SoundersFC.com, or the Sounders FC app, and listen on 9:50 KJR AM. Saturday's edition of Sounders FC Classics is presented by Primera Blue Cross. Primera Blue Cross, always in your corner. I will say, Brad, that game, I was there, and 
I mean, maybe I, I mean, you can always overreact in the moment, but I remember thinking to myself, it was the best like performance I've seen from this team. Like taken out, you know, obviously if you win the MLS Cup, that will stay in people's minds a lot longer. Uh, there's been some really big playoff wins, obviously Open Cup wins. But in terms of going to that team, that LAFC team, for me, is the best regular season team in MLS history. They were unbelievable. Um, they had arguably the best... Sing- well, they did have the player with the best single season record. Um, but the sound has killed them. It was like, it could have been 5-6-1. <laughs> like, LAFC scored first with a free kick. And then I don't think Steph had to do much. And then Sounders were just... Every time they attacked, I thought they were going to score. So I don't know... If there's any game I can say that the team played better, but being down there and watching that one up close, I, 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 it just was, it was unbelievable. I don't know how or why they did it that way, but um, um, did you watch that game? What do you remember from that game? Yeah, definitely watched it. I know Chad and I were texting each other the, the whole game, like basically shaking our heads, like how, how is this possible right now? Like I think we were right. all fully expecting LAFC to kind of just run over the team. Uh, yeah. From what I heard, and, and the biggest question that I. Uh, wanted to know or, or had the answer to was the tactics of that game. Like, yeah. what was Schmetz thinking about that game? And maybe that's something we can maybe we can have him on next week after that game airs to kind of talk to him uh, yeah. and, and to get us through those tactics. But from what I heard, it was before the game they basically canceled the video and he said, "Guys, you're just going to play today. Just go out and play how yeah. you know how to play." And it's like, yeah. as a player, what do you think? There, do you think um, this is? our coach saying just go out and do our own thing or is there some sort of like hidden tactical thing that he's trying to relay like some right. some message he's trying to get across that way but yeah I mean watching that game both Chad and I said that was unbelievable uh, the best performance we've seen the team play ever for sure yeah. uh, especially in a big game moment right like it doesn't get any better than that going down to that place I'm sure you seeing it live was even more shell-shocked you know yeah. kind of hand is over your face like what is going on right now um, and it's not like LAFC played bad that would be different it was the fact that the Sounders played so good right yeah. like we've seen our our Sounders teams that have been good play bad and a team gets a result at home they didn't play bad it was all the Sounders yeah. in that game and that was the most impressive thing about that one um, and you have all these older games coming up that are that are so interesting and intriguing after that um, and like you said Steph one thing that stuck out to me is, is as I'm watching these old replays online uh-huh. of potential games are, and you said, Steph, you know, not having to make saves, but his progression of, if you watch him from when he got here in 2014 till now, his ability to save the ball and make, he was, he was letting in goals in the beginning that became right. routine saves and holds in the past couple of years. That's one thing yeah. that's really stuck out to me over the time I'm watching these games is, is Steph's progression as a, you know, possibly the top goalkeeper in the league as well. Yeah, no, he's he's, he's ridiculous. I, mean, I remember him. He came same year as me, rookie year, and he was a start at Toronto. He came in right away yeah. as rookie, and he was starting. And then I think he had a couple injuries that just derailed him. And Toronto, to be fair, wasn't the most stable franchise at the time, so I think it didn't help him. But yeah, I, I agree. Since coming here, I mean, he's been he's been ridiculous. That might be the one area where the Sounders have never missed, like a goalkeeper. I mean, you're Not going. Casey, yeah. I mean, Spurning, I thought was really good. Spurning was um, really good, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. And then I think that's it. You've gone to Steph, and you've, I mean, you've had Marcus Hanneman back up, Terry Boss. I mean, you've got some good goalkeepers, man. So yeah. that might be the one era we haven't missed. Um, not too many questions, but we'll, there, there is one here. I mean, I don't know what the answer is because I've never been in this position, but the question comes from Sean McCormick, and he says, what's the hardest part of staying fit at a time like this? 
he said, I saw Christian juggling in a cul-de-sac on IG. Um, I don't know. I, I would probably just say if you're stuck at home, maybe like variety because you, you don't want to end up doing the same exact workout. That would probably be the hard. If I was still playing, that might be the hardest part for me. Like not, you can't really get soccer fitness. You can stay fit, but soccer fitness is, is a different thing. I remember coming back from my long-term injury and I mean, I'd been running all day and doing everything. Like I literally spent, you know, like a six-week intense fitness program um, by Dave Tenney, who was the fitness coach at the time. And then I jumped in my first training session and I couldn't keep up because soccer fitness is just that much different. So, so different. Yeah, I think these guys are staying in shape, but I think you're still going to need like a preseason. No matter when the league comes back, you're still going to need, I, I, I was saying three weeks before, it might be more like five or six now. I don't know, man. Yeah, but I, they can't afford to do five or six you months. Right? Yeah. You're just going to have to roll the dice and see what happens after two weeks. So MLS is going to be like, if, 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 they, if Donnie gets the all clear that teams are going to be able to play, there's no way that he's going to say, yeah, you get six weeks now to get your team ready. And the owners aren't going to go for it either. Yeah. It's going to be like, hey, let's get these guys out here. We've got our second teams. If something happens, we're just going to basically plug in guys and get through this year and get through these games and yeah. chalk it up to a, a weird season, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That was that – was, uh, it's gotten that bad where Christian just walking around a cul-de-sac juggling the soccer ball and somebody spots him, his neighbor spots him. Like he's not even <laughs> yeah. posting that on Instagram. It's just yeah. one of his neighbors catches him on walking around and just lonely walking. The one guy I remember who used to do that was um, – Stephen King, he was like the juggling master. And oh, yeah, yeah. He would have he loved this time because he was yeah. such a soccer rat that he would just go to the park and juggle by himself for hours and hours. But like you said, yeah. when it came down to game fitness and, and having that physicality and being able to be bumped but also stay on your feet, like you, you exactly. just can't replicate that on your own, right? Yeah. Exactly. What, 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 was your, what, what, were, what did your off-seasons look like? like would you, when like, you know, we've, the season's finished, would you take a break? Would you stay in shape? Like, what would you do? Yeah, I you know, I it depended because usually I always had a national team camp starting January third oh, yeah. or something like that. So and that was cool, but it was also a disaster. I mean, there were two years in a row there where we made MLS Cup and I remember playing in twenty sixteen. We played yeah. and I actually in January of twenty sixteen I was in in uh national team camp, so it started January, let's say fifth on average. Yeah. It was, sometimes it was the third, sometimes it was the tenth, so fifth, sixth, whatever. Uh, and then you play a whole season, make MLS Cup. That was December 10th. And then 2017, I had to be back in January camp on, you know, three weeks later. Yeah. That's and it was just the longest seasons. And so there wasn't really time to fall out of fitness. Yeah. Or just, hey, let's jump on a rower and, you know, go for a run and kind of stay in that medium zone because you hadn't yeah. lost that. Like we said, explosive soccer fitness. That was yeah. That was a, a weird time, and that was just a ton of games and a ton of load on the body. Um, yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I think that's changed in football. It's like I remember years and years ago watching football and reading about it, whatever. Um, you came in to preseason to get fit. Like you could do whatever you wanted in the summer. Um, come in preseason, then you'd you'd build up. And now it's like you have to come in already fit at preseason. And then just maintain and slowly build into match fitness. Whereas it used to be very different where you weren't expected to come in tip-top shape for preseason. But that's definitely changed. So I think like, um, I think most of these guys now are probably just staying fit year-round. I can't imagine them not. Um, yeah, like someone like Nico. I can't imagine Nico taking two weeks off. I just can't imagine it. No, no. 
Ozzy yeah, so. did. Ozzy every single year. Ozzy, <laughs> Ozzy always <laughs> took preseason as it was just if my off season is sitting in a pool in Miami and then I come back and I and I hang, and I hang out and I slowly get fit and he's one of the best players to ever play in this yeah. league. So is there a right way to do it? No. Is there a wrong way? For most of us, yes. Yeah, I <laughs> agree. Him, it worked out. This, uh, this question right here, I want to I want to know your your answer on this one. So it's from uh, Nick Garcia uh, mm-hmm. at 08 and Garcia he said. This is an interesting question. How do you get your shin guards to stay? In all caps. I see so many methods. <laughs> shin guards stays, sleeves, tape, cutting socks, etc. What are your secrets? Interesting. Uh, growing up, I used to wear like the really big, big ones that had like the ankle pad thing attached to it, and it had a built-in strap. When I played in the pros, honestly, I wore the smallest ones. Like I just wore basic ones from Adidas, and they would stay. I would just—I don't know. I don't know if they were just made really well. I never—I never had that issue, um, even without the straps. And I was playing like if it got bad, I could tape it, and that'd be fine. But honestly, I never thought about it. Once we got um, to to games, I would yeah, I would just slip them slip them on, and they would just stay. Like I never really had to adjust them, so I, I never had that problem. Yeah, I I always did pre wrap on my skin. And then mm-hmm. I put the shin guard on, and then I wrap the top of the shin guard with pre-wrap also. Uh-huh. And it never moved. Never, huh. ever moved. Yeah, but I, I know, like, like you said, Ozzy's still wearing the 1994 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ankle guards. Somebody that tackles that hard has got to wear those. Nobody, nobody, nobody wears those anymore except for him. Nah. In the entire nah. Yeah, nah, no. No way. Just, yeah, you just, people just put the ones you just you slip into your socks. Nah, no way. Yeah. No way. I can't imagine that. All right, so one more thing for all you great fans. A reminder, the Sounders FC Classic this weekend will be the Western Conference game against LAFC from last season, where I thought was a fantastic performance by the Sounders. Um, uh, that's, that was really one of the best games I've ever seen the team play. But the following week, the game on TV will be the game that you get to vote for. And voting, you're actually able to vote at soundersfc.com. Keep an eye out also on all the Sounders FC social media channels to see how you can vote. And you'll be able to vote for what game you want to watch. Which throwback classic do you want to watch? The voting right now is a playoff theme. And the games are from four different years. 2015 knockout round against LA Galaxy. That was a great game. 2016 home leg against FC Dallas. 3-0 win. 2017 Western Conference Final versus the Houston Dynamo with the trophy ceremony after. Another great night. And then as recently as last season, the 2019 Western Conference Semifinal against RSL. You'll remember uh, Nico Rodero had a great goal in that game and that was Nick Romano's last professional game. So those are the four games you as fans can vote on right now. And those will show not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. And that voting system will continue for as long as we need to be in isolation. So get on soundersfc.com, get on soundersfc social media channels and cast your vote for which game you'd like to watch. That's it from us, myself and Brad Evans. Thanks again to Jordan. Thanks again to Stu. Um, We'll be back next week, hopefully getting closer and closer to being back in the actual studio and the boys being back on the pitch. This is Winging It with Zach and Brad. See you next week.